Well, thank you very much, Doreen, and good morning, everyone. Uh, Can I offer a prayer over that passage as we look at it together? Our loving Father, we thank you that all Holy Scripture is God-breathed. We pray now that it might do its work among us and in us, teaching, correcting, reproving, and training in righteousness, so that we, your people, may be complete, equipped for every Good work. Amen. Some parts of the Bible are like minor roads. They're important, they carry traffic, but not heavy traffic. Other parts of the Bible, on the other hand, are much more like motorways. They carry great, (coughs) they're freighted with huge amounts of traffic. Just such a passage is the passage that Doreen has just read to us. Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 to 9. In fact, if anybody is either continuing in their personal Bible reading habits or just setting out, I might offer two bits of advice for helping you to orientate yourself to where any particular part of the Bible fits in to the big picture. The first and most important question to ask is, how does this part of the Bible I'm now reading and studying point to Christ? But the second and less obvious hint that I give is, how does this particular part of the Bible I'm now reading and studying and thinking about, point back to the promise that God first gave to Abraham. It comes fairly early in the Bible, in 11 chapters into, 12 chapters into the first book of the Bible, but already in those first 11 chapters of Genesis, various things have happened we have come across, for example, Adam and Eve. Then we meet Cain. Then there's the flood. And then there is the story of the Tower of Babel. Now, each of these is a story of human failure and divine judgment. But God has not finished with the human race. We now have a new beginning, a decisive new beginning, God's new beginning. He's now making a promise to one man that he will never forget. The promise is encapsulated in just two verses. Genesis 12, chapters, uh, verses 2 and 3. I do hope that you still have a Bible open in front of you. And it's page, just thir- just page 13 in the, uh, in the church Bibles. But there are two key verses on the screen there where God, having in verse 1, called Abram, well, he called him first from his home in Ur, which is in what we would call southern Iraq, Then Abram travels with some of his family to Haran and stays for a while there. And then he travels on in obedience to God's command to what we often call the promised land or to Canaan. 
And God, in calling Abram, makes this promise. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. I wonder if you will agree with me that those two verses contain, it's a sevenfold promise leading up to that wonderful seventh promise in that all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. I wonder if you'll agree with me. There are in that promise three horizons. There is a near horizon and a middle horizon and a distant horizon. Let me show you. The near horizon is the way in which that promise relates to the person it was first given to, to Abraham, to an individual human being. The middle horizon is what that promise says about a great nation that Abraham will be the founder of. But there's a third horizon, a distant horizon in those two verses, where God says that through him all nations, all peoples, will be blessed. You do see the three horizons, and I'd like to take each of these in turn and just try to show you how the rest of Scripture shows how these three horizons are developed and fulfilled. Now, I'm taking a risk here because to show how the rest of Scripture fulfills that promise, I'm going to have to throw an unusual number of cross-references at you. (laughs) But if you knew how many I was keeping back in my pockets, then you would forgive me. I'm being very selective. Here's our first horizon, the nearest horizon. The promise as it applies to an individual named, well, Abram in the text. Later on, his name would be changed to the more familiar Abraham. And God says, I will bless you and I will make your name great. Now, Abraham encountered many obstacles as he walked with God, seeing that promise begin to be fulfilled. For one thing, he was old. Not 100 or 104, but he was old. He was 75. When God first began to change him and work with him and through him. So what hope is there for many of us who are perhaps in that kind of age category that God has not yet finished with us. He maybe hasn't even started with us, whatever age we are. Uh, He had the problem of age, he had the problem of, you know, we had the the, the promise of um, (coughs) many descendants, many uh, great offspring. He had no offspring at all. And his wife Sarah was barren, she was childless. And he had some obstacles of his own making. You've only got to read on in this chapter, chapter 12, to realize that he wasn't always the most honest or straightforward of guys. He knew how to twist the truth and to be a bit deceptive in order to make, try and make life a bit easier for himself. Many obstacles along the way. And as Christians, we do not, we should never expect God's work and God's path for us to be, uh, to be without difficulties and obstacles. That's the way it is. And in God's providence, we will often learn more and grow more as he teaches us to deal with those than if we had no setbacks or failures at all. 
Now, Hebrews chapter 11 in the New Testament, uh, the later part of the Bible, has a lot to say about Abraham. And one of the things the author says is that Abraham obeyed and went even though he did not know where he was going. So his journey, remember, was from Ur to Haran and then down through Canaan, the promised land, from the north to the south and actually out the bottom, (laughs) travelling all the way through living a nomadic life, setting up an altar here, an altar there, um, uh, um, worshipping God here and worshipping God there, but never settling. And Hebrew says he didn't know where he was going. Now, I think there's a great lesson for, about guidance for us. We want guidance, do we not, to be like this. Uh, I'm perhaps a younger person who's facing a turning point in your life currently. It may be um, uh, to do with your education. It may be to do with employment. It may be to do with relationships. And do you want God to show you a map and for God to say, that's where I want you to be and that's how you're going to get there. And guidance often does not work like that by God giving a, a precise destination and a route. Guidance for Abraham and often for us, is different. Guidance for Abraham is, I'm not going to tell you where you're going. I'll show you when you get there, but I'm not going to tell you where you're going or how you're going to get there. I will give you my command, and I will give you my promise. And they together are good enough for you. If you are seeking God's guidance today, focus on what God has commanded in his scripture and what he has promised in his word, and you will not go far wrong. Another thing that Hebrews chapter 11 says about Abraham is that he didn't receive the things promised. Do you know how much Abraham had of this promise by the time he died many years later? I mean, God had promised him a land, God had promised a land, and God had promised offspring. Well, he had no offspring at the time. I think about 25 years later, he had miraculously one son, Isaac, and then he was on the point of sacrificing Isaac back to God. One son out of that multitude of offspring that God had talked about in the promise. How much of the land did he possess? One field, a burial plot for his wife, Sarah. Am I talking to some older people here today who maybe think, well, I've had my time, I've done my work for God and this kind of thing. No, there is no retirement in the Christian life. Are we still, whatever our age, building for the future? If you're a grandparent or an honorary grandparent, are you still building for the future with younger people? If you knew that you were going to die tomorrow... Would you still plant a tree today? We move now to our second horizon, the middle distance, which refers to a a nation, and that nation is, of course, Israel. And God says to Abraham, I'll make you into a great nation. To your offspring, I will give this land. And the whole of the Old Testament is the story of the rise And in fact, the fall, the failure of that great nation. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, the 12 tribes, Moses and the Exodus, David, 
Solomon, and then idolatry, wickedness, godlessness, and and failure. The question I particularly want to ask uh, this morning is, as we reach the New Testament, the story of Jesus and his disciples and apostles, what's happened to that promise? Has God forgotten that promise? Has he rejected his people of old? I want to put it to you that God hadn't and hasn't forgotten his promise. The New Testament kicks off in its very first verse with a link back to Abraham. Matthew is the most Jewish of all the four Gospels. Its first verse is something along the lines of the genealogy of Jesus Christ. Jumps back 28 generations, the son of David. Jumps back another 14 generations, the son of Abraham. Abraham has not been forgotten. Jesus, during his earthly ministry, insisted on sending his disciples and that he himself had been sent, first of all, to what he called the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Jesus himself, as he approached Jerusalem and the day of his crucifixion, wept over Jerusalem and just showed and expressed how he had longed for Jerusalem to believe, to be faithful, and to obey God's command and God's promises. Hugely important section of Paul's letter to the Romans, chapters 9 to 11, expands on all of this. Paul himself, a Jew, who had previously hated Christ and Christians, now a believer, designated the apostle to the Gentiles, to the non-Jews, but still says, my heart longs for the conversion of Jewish people, for them to come to know and love the Lord Jesus Christ. And he asks at the beginning of chapter 11 of Romans, has God rejected his people? And he says, no. Whatever else our views may be about Israel, the people of Israel, and the land of Israel, I feel impressed, as I hadn't been impressed before by looking at these and other scriptures, that God has a heart for his ancient people. And we should have a heart for his ancient people too, a longing for them to come in greater numbers, just as some who meet just over the road, as Messianic Jews, Jews who believe in Christ as Messiah, meet these days, just across the road on a Saturday morning? Do we have a heart for all people, but including God's ancient people, to whom had been given so many privileges and who have sadly failed also so many of them in so many ways? I'd like to impress on you just how Jewish the gospel is, just how Jewish the New Testament is, just what we owe to God's promises to his ancient people and to love him and his gospel and them thereby. But now I come to my third horizon, the distant horizon, which is to do with what this, our text says about God's promise concerning all 
nations, all peoples, all nations, all clans of the world, of, of the earth, will be blessed, the Lord says to Abraham, through you. That's verse 3. Now, one of the things I'd like to impress on this morning is just how much of the Old Testament, which we do view as very much a, 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 a selection of Jewish documents, of Jewish scriptures, but it's just how much of the Old Testament breaks out of those barriers, just floods out into God's concern for all nations. We're starting this evening in a series of messages uh, focusing on the book of Psalms. And, we, and next Sunday evening, we'd have Psalm 2 next Sunday evening, Psalm, Psalm 2 next Sunday. By the time we get to Psalm 2, we'll be reaching into a fantastic promise given centuries beforehand about the way God the Father says to God the Son, ask of me, and I will give all nations as your inheritance. Israel was a chosen people of God in order to be a light to the nations. Our Christian faith is more Jewish. It is we who have been grafted onto their stock and not vice versa. Again, Paul teaches in Romans. Romans. So Jesus, again in that most Jewish of all Gospels, says at the end, having said that he was originally sent to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, now sends his disciples, most or all of whom were Jews themselves, go and make disciples of all nations. Can I remind you of a fantastic uh, teaching uh, in uh, the second letter of Paul to the Corinthians, where Paul says this, all the promise of God, find their yes in Christ. So therefore, when we look to God's promise to Abraham, we say, how has that been fulfilled in Christ? Now, it's, one way it's been fulfilled in Christ is in terms of God's promise of offspring. In Galatians chapter 3, it is written, there is neither Jew nor Greek If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. The promise of offspring to Abraham was fulfilled first of all in in Jesus, the son of Abraham, and in those who are in Jesus, those who are in Christ, which is you and I if we are his followers today. The promise of offspring is fulfilled in Christ. But also, and this is more controversial, the promise of the land is fulfilled in Christ. Not all Christians will take the line that I'm now about to take, but this is my considered and uh, and prayerful view. Uh, Pointing to scripture such as that verse from Romans, Abraham and his offspring Receive the promise, but now, not that he would receive a land, but he would receive the world. He'd be heir of the world. The land is mentioned many, many, many times in the Old Testament. But whenever the New Testament refers to those promises, it refers to the world. Do you know the, uh, the, the Beatitudes taught by Jesus? 
Psalm 37 says, Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the land. Jesus says, Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the world. Never let it be said that these promises, these Old Testament promises, have been replaced or annulled. No, they have been fulfilled and gloriously fulfilled and expanded and universalized so that God in Christ claims the whole world for his gospel. The promise to Abraham was repeated uh, many times, so we'll come across it again in our morning uh, uh, messages over the next two weeks as we continue these studies in the life of Abraham. But here's one version of that promise from chapter 22 of Genesis, where God says to Abraham, I will surely bless you and make your descendants, descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. What a fantastic promise that is. How countless the stars in the sky. How countless the sand on the seashore. That's the magnitude of God's promise. It's a promise that the Bible does not let go. Because it's picked up, we have echoes of that, in the last um, uh, book of the Bible. Revelation chapter 7 verse 9. Hang on to this if you feel despondent about the state of the gospel in the world or in this country or in this city, where the vision is of a great multitude that no one could number could, could count, from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and in front of the Lamb. Think of that great, numberless multitude worshiping God and worshiping the Lamb of God, who is Christ. Now, take all of those promises, which are yes in Christ, and now think of one of the little challenges that we have been given this year, to think of up to five people for whom we can pray, that they might be welcomed into, not simply our number, but may welcomed into the grace of God. Is it too great a thing, now let me ask you, for God to answer your prayers? For God to gather that one, that two, that three, that four, that five, into that great multitude? I say it's not too great a thing for God to do. Don't you agree? Let us pray. Our gracious Father, we thank you for your faithful promise from beginning to end of your word. Your intentions for humankind, however much we fail and sin and however wicked may become, your desire for us is to come to you, to know you, and to love you, and to serve you with gladness. May we who have been blessed, along with Abraham, be a blessing to others in every way. Amen.